Hello. You're still here. Gluttons for punishment. I'll tell you. All right. So I decided we'll do the scary thing. And that is just have people ask questions and, uh, <clears throat> and look at answering them. And if I don't know, do I have the permission to say I don't know? Yes. All right, good. That'll go better. <laughs> That'll go much better. Um, <clears throat> because I don't know everything. I'm still learning. Anybody here still learning? Yes. All right, praise the Lord. Um, so, good. We're in an environment where we can come and we can learn together. And uh, we do need the Holy Spirit's leading and his guidance at this time. And so let's, let's pray and ask for his presence. And dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful, grateful that you love us, that you are a wonderful God, and that you have truth to set us free. And Lord, we just ask for you to lead us and guide us at this time that that truth that is needed for whoever might be understood and that you might give us divine perspectives. And uh, Lord, we greatly need you and we greatly need you to lead at this time. And we are grateful that you said where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are also. That if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask of God who gives liberally and without finding fault. And so we come before you as that liberal God and we thank you for meeting with us at this time. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... um, There might be questions that individuals have that have arisen from um, <clears throat> some of the things that we've talked about already, but didn't have the, pro- the, the time necessary in order to t- tie up some of the loose ends uh, that are related to it. That's one of the difficulties of having a presentation that has time limits, but a gospel that goes forever. <laughs> so you get to cover a little bit and highlight something, but then there are other important you know, aspects that are uh, kind of left out because you just don't have the time to cover it right now. Um, so, uh, you know, or if you've got questions that are relative to, um, you know, personal struggles, mental health challenges, uh, relationship issues, and other things like that, we're just going to throw the floodgates open and, uh, and say, if you've got questions, you can go ahead and answer, ask them. And, uh, and I will take the prerogative of which ones I answer. <clears throat> and uh, we'll, we'll kind of move in that fashion. And we do have microphones that are there because the, the, the watching audience would like to uh, be able to um, participate in this as well. And that, that part of it is, you know, not me just saying, oh, yeah, that's a really good point, and then going on to something else, and they're like, what point was that? All right, so questions. All right, we'll come up to the front here, and there's the other microphone. All right. Go ahead. Uh, roving mic. 
orange handle. There okay. we go. I'm just wondering, what is the methodology that would be necessary to have in place to have your allopathic doctor and your homeopathic doctor to sort of work things out for your benefit? Um, especially if your main um, service comes from the allopathic, because that's where, you, I guess you get the diagnosis from him first. And then you, I, I just need to find out what is the methodology, what's the sequence? Okay, all right. So um, I can suggest something, but uh, each of the situations are going to be different. They'll be individual, and it depends on the providers that you're working with in your own particular situation. Um, I, you know, when we look at the different, um, you know, if we look at the difference between a naturopathic practice and an allopathic practice, um, then of course your allopathic practice is going to be what we're used to as far as healthcare uh, is concerned, your physician and nurse and hospital and so on and so forth. And that system is excellent, absolutely excellent. Uh, when it comes to looking at diagnostics and when it's looking at acute care and other things of that nature. Praise God for hospitals, praise God for emergency departments, praise God for ICU and operating department, you know, and, and diagnostics and other things of that nature. Praise the Lord. When I was at Uchi Pines, I told people, if I got an accident, don't take me to Uchi. <laughs> right? Don't take me to Uchi, take me to the hospital because, you know, uh, the, the, st <laughs> the capabilities we have there is, is different, you know. Um, and when you have a, a, a naturopathic um, uh, background, then um, there is a wide variation in the education in the naturopathic field. Uh, so it's difficult to gauge what kind of background the naturopath has had uh, and how much training. There are some programs out there that are very excellent and they're very rigorous and it's almost like going through medical school and they focus very strong on on uh, physiology and anatomy and you know how the body works and there's other ones that are very loose very loose uh, and it looks at a bunch of alternative and sometimes very questionable types of uh, modalities of, of treatment but they don't really understand human physiology um, and then that becomes problematic because then they make suggestions that actually are contrary to physiology and how the body functions. And so that can be, you know, so, but, but then your physician is really not going to be educated in natural remedies and, you know, and, and hydrotherapy and herbals and other things of that nature. Um, so if I was, I, let me just ask if, you know, or answer, if I was in a situation where I needed to see an allopath but I wanted to see a naturopath as well, uh, for a particular condition, um, then I would probably be going to the allopath first to present my symptoms, to find out what's going on, try to nail down a, a firm diagnosis, and then what the recommended treatment plan would be relative to that particular problem, and then going to the naturopath and saying, okay, well, what are, here's the diagnosis. Um, what are some, you know, natural remedies, natural interventions, and things like that that, that uh, might be beneficial for this particular condition, and why is it going to work? Because right? you want the why uh, along with that as well. Um, and uh, so that's kind of how I would go. And if you have a, <clears throat> if you, have a um, you know, your, uh, 
You do want your physician to know what herbal stuff and other things that you're using because those can interact with the medications, you know, if you're on any medications and those can, those can interact together. And if you have a really good naturopath and your naturopath is going to have that, that knowledge as well as to what the herbals are gonna interact with as far as the meds are concerned. Now, you know, I mean, I spent 10 years in a lifestyle center and I'm allopathic trained and, and so on and even I can't keep it all straight. So I've got a database that I use that's, um, you know, and that database has, you know, all of the different herbals, it has all of the different drugs, and it, it tells what the possible interactions are. So that if I'm suggesting something for somebody and they're on a particular medication and it says, well, both of these have the same type of action, and so therefore it's probably gonna hype up whatever the effect of this is, then I know that to know whether I should be adding it or not be adding it and so on. And, um, and you know, so that would be a recommendation from, from that standpoint. Any other questions? All right. Got a hand over here, microphone's coming. And then over there, microphone's coming. All right. I'm going back to your sermon this morning. Praise God for it. What do you say to a person who believes, like what you said, God died, he took all that we would have to pay? So they're saying, why keep the commandments now? You don't have to keep them because God did it all. So all you have to do is believe and you're saved. What do you say to a person like that? <clears throat> well, the same faith that accepts the gift is the same faith that not just accepts the gift, but holds on to the giver, right? And that holding on to the giver transforms you into the likeness of him, right? Uh, the Bible says, can two walk together lest they be agreed, right? And uh, it's, it's true that you can walk with somebody as you are, as they are coming alongside of you in your path and, and so on, but, but Jesus said that there is there's a way. <laughs> That's a narrow way, right? And uh, there's another way, and it's a broad way, right? And there's a lot that find the broad way, and there's a few that find the narrow way. And he said that we, are, we have the privilege of abiding in Christ. Right? And those who abide in Christ will walk as he walks. Right? So how did he walk? Well, <clears throat> he said that he walked according to his father's commandments. Right? I have done what my father sent me to do. And so that same thing that accepts the gift, that faith that accepts the gift, is the same, the same faith that holds on to the giver. It's with the analogy of the rootstock and the, the scion or the graft, right? The connection between the rootstock and the graft is not made by the rootstock. It's not the rootstock that grows into the graft. It's the graft that grows into the rootstock. The, the rootstock has everything that the graft needs for life. It has everything that, the, that it needs to produce fruit and everything of that nature. But it's the graft that makes the connection. Right? 
<clears throat> it's made available by the rootstock, <laughs> and it's brought close by the husbandman, right? But it's actually the individual that makes the connection, and it's faith that connects, right? Um, <clears throat> and, of course, that faith is a... For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, that's right. So even that faith by which you connect is a gift of God as well, right? But that abiding will lead you to walk, and that abiding will produce fruit, and it'll produce the same fruit as it produced in Christ. So if you claim to have accepted the gift, and you claim to have connected with the rootstock, but the life does not produce in time and its growth, right, the reflection of the life of Christ, then there's no living connection. So it, it will result in a life that looks like the life of Christ. But it is a growth process that happens. Right. <clears throat> Orange microphone. There we go. Yes. So this is also pertaining to the sermon, um, and it's in regards to the the example that you gave in regards to Christ becoming sin for us, and the exchange happened, and now we can be righteous like Him. Um, so we know that Christ takes the sin, the shame, the guilt, and you know, and all of that. But there's something that still lingers. Um, and it's kind of like guilt, but I don't know if it's the sin that is still in man that reminds him of what he's done. Because we know we've been forgiven, we've accepted the forgiven, we've forgiveness, we've accepted God's grace and his goodness, mm -hmm. and we're now walking in the newness of God's own righteousness. Um, but what is it that thing that lingers after you'd murdered somebody, paid the penalty, went to jail, um, and even have that clear mind that you've been set free in Christ, but sometimes there's something that lingers. I don't know if it's guilt or strong remorse, or I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yes, so, um, well, <laughs> my answer will tell you whether I understand or not. <laughs> so... I can think that I understand your question, and if I answer it and I don't answer your question, then you can ask again. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things that I was not able to get to because of the constraints of time is what happens after one accepts that gift right? and, and, and has that experience of going free. <clears throat> Anybody here ever learned to walk? Okay, good. That would be most of us, right? So in the process of learning to walk, did anybody fall? Yeah, how many times? You don't know. You don't remember, right? Do your parents even remember how many times you fell? No, because they weren't, they weren't counting, right? They weren't counting how many times you fell. Because in the process of learning to walk, it's not important how many times you fall. It's important that you get back up. That's right. It's important that you get back up. And, and so in the, in the learning to walk process, while you're in the process of learning to walk as a little child, you are either down or you're up. You cannot be up and down 
at the same time, right? You cannot be up and down at the same time. They're mutually exclusive, right? But up and down are part of the same process of learning to walk. <clears throat> and so the same thing is true in the Christian life. When I come to the cross and I accept that divine exchange on my behalf by God's grace and through faith, and that gift becomes mine, I am an infant child that has just stood up for the first time. What happens after you stand up? You fall. That's right. So I went into the experience of the cross by faith, and I stood. And praise God, hallelujah, it's a new perspective. It's like, whoa, wow, look at this. <laughs> this is great, hallelujah. <laughs> right? So how do you end up back before the cross? If it's into the cross by faith, it's out of the cross by doubt. Right, doubt, right? So it's by belief that you enter in, and it's by doubt that you, that you kind of fall out, right? And, and then you find yourself back in the same place where you were, you know, guilty and resentful and all that kind of stuff, and you're the perpetrator, and you're taking it back again personally and so on. Well, what do you do? You come right back to the cross, right? You come right back. The, the offer is offered to you just as freely then as it was before, you know? And, and so you can come right back and by faith accept that gift and you can be free in Christ and you can have all of his life and his perfection and so on and so forth. And you're standing. And then what happens? You fall. And then you get back up. That's right. Now, is the child in the parent's favor and then out of the parent's favor and then in the parent's favor and then out of the parent's favor and then in the parent's favor and out of the favor, and, you know, and they're slapping them when they're down and congratulating them when they're up. No. And it's the same way with God. We are not now in his favor and now we're out of his favor and now we're in his favor and now we're out of his favor. Right? That's the, that's the roller coaster. That's the yo-yo that some of you <laughs> have lived. I lived the yo-yo, right? And so I was in God's good grace, and I was out of God's good grace. And then I was in it, and I was trying to, always trying to get back in it, right? No, the parent is, is happy with the child learning how to walk, and it involves falling. And at the beginning of the process, you are down a lot, and you are up a little, right? But over time, you stand up more, and you fall down less, and you spend less time down, and you spend more time up, and you learn, you know, and at the beginning, a child can handle this, but the child can't handle that, <laughs> right? And so you come across something like this, you fall, you're like, oh, man, you know, I can't handle anything. You know, I come to my prayer time and my devotional time, and oh, it's great. And then I meet the first person. Down again. Anybody ever have that experience? <laughs> Me too. I've got nine people in the home. It doesn't take long before I run into somebody. <laughs> and so, boom, you know, it's like, oh, God, am I, you know? But it's a process. And what happens when you fall? 
You get back up. You accept his grace. You enter back, you know, and, 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 and okay. But over time, guess what? You can handle that. And you can handle this too. And then you can handle all of those. And so on eventually. And eventually you get to the point where you stand up and you don't fall. Not by your own power, not by your... No, it's because of the life of Christ and the grace of Christ in you working through you. The life of Christ is, you know, it's Him that's doing the work. You're just an open channel connected to the rootstock. Right? And not severing anymore. Right? So, yes, you can have that experience of, you know, where you came to the cross, but no, no, now you're still dealing with the stuff again. Okay, I'll go right back to the cross. It's okay. You can be free. He'll set you free again. It's a, it's a growth process. But any point along the way, you can't be in one position and the other at the same time. But both are part of the same process. I have a two-part question. Um, <laughs> let's see. The first one um, is about cognitive behavioral therapy, whether it's compatible with the Christian or uh, Seventh-day Adventist um, worldview. And um, the other goes back to the point you're making about overcoming. Um, the, is there an end to psychotherapy? Do people, can they overcome, or is it expected that someone would have to have uh, therapy for the rest of their life or will always need it? Yes, so second, second question answered first. <clears throat> is Christ still alive and is he the savior? Well, the answer is yes, so, so therapy shouldn't last forever, right? There's healing, right? And there's real healing. And so if one has to be in, if one needs to be in that kind of therapy forever, then it's obviously not something that can set you free. Right? Obviously not something that can set you free. Um, so just talking about the problem will never set you free. Might make you feel better and if you have a group, you know, that you're talking with and so on, then um, so, so therapy should not last, should not have to last forever, right? Um, <clears throat> I'm not saying that there might not be certain conditions where an individual does not have the capacity to reason. And there might be some therapy that is necessary, uh, you know, in that particular case. Um, but even then, there's a savior and he still knows how to save. Um, but we, we leave the, um, what should I say? We trust in him, we work with what we understand, and we seek for greater understanding and greater wisdom, and, uh, and we trust them in his hands as well, even while we try to continue to work with them. Now, as far as CBT is concerned, um, is CBT the savior? No. So can it set you free? No, it can't. Um, it's a tool, right? It's an instrument, right? Cognitive behavioral therapy is an instrument. And <clears throat> as we were talking about last night, what's the problem? The problem is our nature, 
We have the sinful, fallen human nature. And what is it that operates by that nature? The mind operates by that nature. So if the mind, which has the sinful, fallen nature, is what you use in order to try to fix the sinful, fallen human nature, are you going to fix the sinful, fallen human nature? No, you won't. So from a, from a methods standpoint, there is no human method that will set us free. Right. So a human method of reading will not set you free, even if you read the Bible. The human method of prayer will not set you free. Right? And we talked about this yesterday, in and of itself. Right? The, the human method of memorization will not set you free. The human method of which CBT is, is looking at replacing um, perspectives and thoughts uh, in an individual and understanding why they think and say the things that they do and so on. And, and, and so the method will not set you free. But, <laughs> but, they can, all of those can be very beneficial tools, right? Those can be very beneficial tools that in the right context become powerful, right? Not in and of themselves, but because of the power of God and his working in the life of an individual. Let me, let me give this analogy in order to try to bring a little bit more clarity to this. Um, <clears throat> let's say that there is a, that this is the edge of a canyon and it drops off several hundred feet and it's, you know, straight, precipitous and so on. There's no way of climbing it and, uh, and, and so on. And, and then it goes across for several miles. And I need to get to the other side and the tools that I have are my two feet. So, so I can work and I can try and I can try something else and I can try something else and I can try harder and I can work at that and I can get my technique and all that kind of stuff and I can, I can make it a few more inches and a few more inches and a few more But eventually, I'm not making any more. And my jumping is nothing compared to the canyon. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. What's my, what's my jumping? What's my long jump? It's reliance upon self. In any method, any method, that in and of itself is not wrong, that in and of itself is not bad, that in and of itself is something that is perfectly fine. CBT is perfectly fine. Prayer, perfectly fine. Bible study, perfectly fine. Right? Bible memorization, perfectly fine. Taking thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, perfectly fine. But if I am trusting in myself at all, to any degree, in doing those things in order to get myself across to the other side, guess what? Long jump. Just long jump. I will never make it across to the other side. If I could, there's no need for a savior. 
If I could, there's no need for a Savior. If CBT could save me, there's no need for a Savior. If prayer could save me, there's no need for a Savior. If Bible reading could save me, there's no need for a Savior. There's a need for a Savior. And that's because nothing that humanity can do can ever set us free. Ever. Now, is that to say don't pray? Uh-oh. <laughs> no. Is that to say don't read the Bible? Uh-oh. No, read it. Read it. Because even in your, your confused state, your backwards, your, your, you know, the sinful fallen nature, it's got good stuff. Right? And prayer, well, hey, it, at least you're practicing in the right direction. And there's, there's certain skills that develop over time. And somebody who comes to that point of complete surrender, who already has an experience of prayer and Bible reading and scripture memorization and everything like that, they are so far ahead of somebody else who comes to that point and never had any of that stuff. And now... All of those tools that are only tools, they're already having their tool case. Whereas somebody else doesn't have them. Right? And I'll have to develop them now over time. But there is a pivotal point that you and I cannot get across by our own efforts, by our own anything. And that is that point of getting across the canyon. We just can't do it ourselves. <clears throat> And you can't choose your way across. But you are given a choice. By divine intervention. When sin shut the door eternally, <laughs> God stepped in and he opened it. And he left it open so that he could preserve the free will of humanity. And that door is whom will you serve? You can choose to give him your will. That's it. <clears throat> That's it. You can't choose to do good <laughs> out of an evil nature. You just can't do it. But he gives you the freedom to choose whom you will serve. And when you choose to serve him, he will then work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. I mean, Steps to Christ says that. He says, you cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to him your affections. But you can choose to serve him. You can give him your will. He will then work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So there's that one choice that is the only way free. And... If you have a counselor that will lead you to that choice, praise God, hallelujah. If you don't, well, God's still working outside of the counselor too, <laughs> right? Still working outside of the counselor to try to bring you to that point away as well. In a thousand different ways and all sorts of stuff, he is trying to save every single one of us. And he will not stop until we have made our final choice. He will not stop until we've made our final choice. <clears throat> and praise God, we have a God that pursues us like that.
Question? Yes. Um, I wanted to refer back to just some of the points that you were making about uh, victimhood. Since we do live in such a really horrible world and we encounter many people who have been hurt, um, and particularly a lot of this hurt comes from childhood, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they didn't have choice, where they um, had things inflicted upon them. And some of these could be really horrible and leave yeah, life-lasting effects. I know. I talked to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so how do we explain what you said in a very sensitive way that doesn't um, come across as, well, you're choosing to just be, you know, you're choosing to be a victim and you, can't. Um, and you just have to... You can't not be the victim. You can't not be the victim. Because your very nature makes you take the role of the victim. So it's not by choice that you hold on to the victimhood. It's not by choice. It's because you can't let it go. It's just like the addict. It's not by choice that the addict is attracted to what they're attracted to. And no addict wants to be addicted because we have no desire in us to be captive. We only have a desire to be free. And so nobody remains captive wanting to be captive. But everybody who's in an addiction, and you know, this is a little, you know, aside now, everybody who's in addiction likes the thing that they like because that's the nature they have. And they can't change that. You cannot of yourself give to God the heart's affections. You can't. Neither can you of yourself withdraw your affections from that which you love. You can't. It's impossible. You cannot change your heart. So the individual who's a victim is so because they can't not be of themselves. But if they want to be free, God made a way. He made a way for them to be free. And that way is at the cross. And that way is by faith. And if they will only go there, they can be free. And so there's no blame for how they've been. But there's hope that they don't have to stay that way. Hello. My English is not good, sir. Excuse me. Translator is Tony Brother. ¿Cómo debería ser entendido Lucas 9? Hoy se habla de discipulado y el Señor les encomienda sanar. ¿Nosotros deberíamos sanar también? How we understand Luke 9:1 where it says uh, uh, Jesus told them that to the disciples to cure can we cure too? <clears throat> or heal? 
So, <clears throat> Spirit of Prophecy, um, she has a, let's see if I can remember the terminology. Um, all right, so I'm not finding it right now. Somebody who's a good <clears throat> Spirit of Prophecy buff, you might be able to find it for me. Um, in Spirit of Prophecy, Ellen White says that, that, we, <clears throat> that in the days of Christ, there were miraculous healings. But she says that in our day, that is not how God is working. Because now Satan is allowed to do spurious works of healing, which then confuse the people. And so God has given us a method to use now in our day. And that is the sanitarium work. Right? That's the work of a sanitarium and using natural remedies and so on. And then she goes on to say that it is no less of a miracle for an individual to be healed from a disease through the process of using natural remedies and, and you know, cooperating with the laws of health and so on than it is for God to speak the word and an individual be healed because it's by the same power that an individual is healed. <clears throat> but also, if we read in Ministry of Healing, chapter 16, Prayer for the Sick, then we're also counseled that when we call for the anointing by the elders, that God understands the life of the individual. He also understands what's going to come. And he knows what the individual can handle. And he knows whether the life given to him in answer to that prayer would be a curse to himself and others or whether it would be a blessing. And so as we come before God and we pray for that healing and we work according to our prayers with the things that God has blessed, that God will answer, but he has the prerogative of how he will answer or when he will answer. Right. Yes, the individual will be saved, but they might not be healed miraculously. They might be healed through a slower process. They might be healed through the application of natural remedies and, and, and lifestyle interventions and so on. They might be healed through surgery or, or, or something else of that nature, or they might be healed through death and resurrection. And it is not for us to direct God in how he should heal, but to trust him that he knows what's best in the life of the individual. That he will save and he will heal, but he chooses how and when. Selected Messages, Volume 2, 2SM. Two. 2SM 53.2. <clears throat> I am instructed to say that in the, in the future, great watchfulness will be needed. There is to be among God's people no spiritual stupidity. Evil spirits are actively engaged in seeking to control the minds of human beings. 
Men are binding up in bundles, ready to be consumed by the fires in the last days. Those who discard Christ and his righteousness will accept the sophistry that is flooding the world. Christians are to be sober and vigilant, steadfastly resisting their adversary, the devil, who is going about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Men under the influence of evil spirits will work miracles. They will make people sick by casting their spells upon them and will then remove the spell, leading others to say that those who are sick have been miraculously healed. This Satan has done again and again. We need not be deceived. Wonderful scenes which Satan will, with which Satan will be closely connected will soon take place. God's word declares that Satan will work miracles. He will make people sick and then will suddenly remove them from his satanic power. They will then be regarded as healed. These works of apparent healing will bring Seventh-day Adventists to the test. Many who have had great light will fail to walk in the light because they have not become one with Christ. Not the exact text, but the idea that, you know, that Satan is doing these, uh, you know, these false healings and so on. Yeah, excellent. Other questions? Ah, we got the orange microphone over here. Oh. Hello. Yeah, there we go. Just had a comment um, to the young um, sister over here. I think about the law you were saying. I just uh, the scriptures always go go to the scriptures. I mean, when you're talking to people about the law, uh, but Jesus said he came to not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. So you can't get rid of the law if he came to fulfill the law, and then he lived the law. You know, at least he uh, followed the Father. So he obeyed the Father, and he said that I have done what the Father sent me to do. And he, his uh, lifestyle was about obeying the Father. The Father gave us the laws, uh, just like he gave us all the other laws, the natural laws, the physical laws. All of those are part of his laws, health laws. All of it's part of that. So mm-hmm. you can't get rid of the law. And uh-huh. we find out the law is in heaven. As we're reading down, the law was in heaven. Satan came up against the law, and we know what happened, you know. Um, The other part was to the young lady that was over in the corner. Um, I think she was asking about sanctification, basically talking about the process of sanctification. So it's it's, it's a lifelong process, so ongoing. Some days we're going to slip and fall and get back up. Don't beat you yourself know, up. Just get up. Go right back to the Father and hey, Father, forgive me. And, you know, you're not intentionally. God mm-hmm. knows your heart. You know what your intentions are. Yeah. If you're doing it on purpose or whatever, that He knows. In from the beginning. Amen. But basically, we're talking about sanctification. Thank you. <clears throat> All right, I found it. Medical Ministry, page 15, begins in uh, paragraph 3. Says, I am so thankful for the medical missionary work carried in gospel lines. It is to be taught, it is to be carried forward, for it is the very work that Christ did when on this earth. He was the greatest missionary the world ever saw. You may say, Why not then take hold of the work and heal the sick as Christ did? I answer, You are not ready. Some have believed and some have been healed, but there are many who make themselves sick by intemperate eating or by indulging in the wrong habits when they get sick. Uh, Shall we pray for them to be raised up that they may carry on the very same work again? There must be a reformation through our ranks. The people must reach a higher standard before we can expect the power of God to be manifested in a marked manner for the healing of the sick. No, that wasn't the one I was looking for. But this one is Medical Ministry, page uh, 15. Page 15. 
Is it 14.2? I was close. Was it close? Oh, I was close. Oh, there it is. There it is. Thank you. The way in which Christ worked was to preach the word and to relieve suffering by miracle, miraculous works of healing. But I am instructed, thank you very much, this is it. But I am instructed that we cannot now work in this way. For Satan will exercise his power by working miracles. God's servants today could not work by means of miracles because spurious works of healing claiming to be divine will be wrought. For this reason, the Lord has marked out a way in which his people are to carry forward a work of physical healing combined with the teaching of the word. Sanitariums are to be established, and with these institutions are to be connected workers who will carry forward genuine medical missionary work. Thus, a guarding influence is thrown around those who come to the sanitariums for treatment. This is the provision the Lord has made whereby gospel medical missionary work is to be done for many souls. These institutions are to be established out of the cities, and in them educational work is to be intelligently carried forward. Praise God, Heartland. You got a sanitarium. Amen. <clears throat> yes. So um, most people that are dealing with mental health issues, um, I guess in the from the world's perspective, the first um, cure, I guess, is medication. So how would you um, treat um, individuals with mental illness? aside from medication, because medication has a lot of side effects. Um, so how would you treat people with mental illness? <clears throat> well, first of all, the mind is uh, made up of two components, two parts that come together. It's, uh, it's the body and it's the spirit, right? Uh, God breathed into man, the, I mean, he formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Right. And, and so there is, just like there's software and hardware, there's spirit and body, right? And just as software has nothing without hardware, and hardware can do nothing without software, you've got to have the two together in order for there to be function. And the same thing is true with the spirit and the body. You've got to be together in order to function. There is no function when one is separate from the other. And the mind is more than just the brain, right? The mind is the spirit and the brain working together as a, an individual unit, right? And, um, <clears throat> and so we have, <clears throat> what should I say? We have a, a, a background of evolutionary theory that has very much invaded our thinking processes. And evolutionary theory tells us that matter originated itself, right? Nothing blew up and then there was something. And uh, in that explosion, everything came together instead of flew apart. And, um, <clears throat> and, then, uh, and, then, and then matter organized itself through random processes. And then through those random processes, matter became more organized and more complex. And then that complexity resulted in life, right? So life is a side effect of the organization of matter. 
right? And then as matter continued to organize further in this process, then there was neural tissue. So you had a neuron or something like that that could transmit a, uh, a signal and so on. And, and, and as that continued to become more complex, then you have the rudiments of thinking. And then as that becomes more complex, then the thinking becomes more complex and, and so on and so forth. And so thought is a result of the complexity of physical structure. And of course, since thought is, you know, that involves spirituality and other things of that nature, when you get to a high enough um, state of complexity, then, then spirituality and spiritual realities are the result of the complexity of physical nature. <clears throat> right. But we understand that uh, in the beginning, what's the next word? God. Right. Jesus said what about God? God is, well, yes, the Bible says that God is love. Jesus said God is spirit. Right. It says God is spirit. And John chapter 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? And then it goes on to say that nothing was made, without him nothing was made that was made. And then we go back to Genesis and we see that God said and it was. And God said and it was. And God said that it was. And then Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. <clears throat> That's right. So God, who is spirit, spoke what is spirit. And from that came earth. And from that came sun and moon and stars and, and <clears throat> atmosphere and land and so on and so forth. Everything physical came from the spiritual, right? And so you and I are created in God's image. Right? And yes, we have the spiritual and we have the physical because God created us with both. Right? And <clears throat> from an evolutionary standpoint, we have the idea that everything begins from the physical and then that is what generates the spiritual. Uh -uh. It's the other way around. Now, it's not that the body is generated by the spirit. I'm not saying that at all. That came from God, <laughs> right? But it's the it's this spiritual that controls everything that happens in the body, right? So it is the mind. Thoughts are not physical, but they have physical effects. Now, science will tell you that thought is the result of electrical activity in the brain. But I would appeal to you that electrical activity in the brain is the result of thought. It's the physical effect of thought. Now, if you don't have the physical effect, do you have the thought? No. If you have software without hardware, do you have anything? No. So it has to have the physical component to it. It cannot not have the physical component to it, right? It's got to have it. But it doesn't begin in the physical component. Right. <clears throat> Chemicals cannot make you think. But you cannot think without chemicals. Right. You cannot think without chemicals. You can't. Impossible. But chemicals cannot make you think. Right. Just like if you go down the beach and you see a sandcastle, the chemicals could not make the sandcastle, but you could not make the sandcastle without the sand. 
Right? Sand didn't make the sandcastle, but you can't make the sandcastle without the sand. Right. Jonathan. So I, Sorry, microphone. So I, I've had this conversation. Yeah, they're getting to you. Okay. There we go. There so go. I, I have started this conversation with you before. Um, my concern with that is, so if you say that your mind, that your thoughts are separate from your body, why is that not... One, I believe that is called dualism. That is the definition of dualism. The, my understanding of dualism is you say that your thoughts are separate from the body. That plays right into spiritualism, which says that you know you can your mind, your thoughts can travel outside of your body. You are, um, and other things. One, that's one concern. Two. Um, there is scientific evidence that when the people that have that belief dim, uh, um, um, lessen the physical effects of the body on the brain and thus um, it affects their ability to think things through and to heal the body through, heal the mind through healing the body. Um, so those are two concerns. I yeah. have plenty others. Yeah, no, that, and, and those are valid concerns, absolutely. Because if, you're right, if thought exists separate from the body, then you have, you have an issue where, where yes, you, like you mentioned, you can have thoughts that are floating off somewhere and, and, and whatever without a body from that standpoint. Um, and what I, what I tried to say, I don't know if I actually said it or not or just thought I said it, um, was that you cannot have the thought without the physical. Right? There, there's no way of having the thought without the physical. If you don't have the chemicals and you don't have the electrical activity, there's not going to be a thought, but it's not that it starts there, right? It's not the physical that generates the spiritual. It's from the spiritual that the physical is affected and controlled, right? But you can't separate them at all, right? And, uh, and, and yes, absolutely, there, there is definitely a, uh, a, a risk and there's definitely a predisposition in sinful fallen human nature to, to take an idea of that nature and then to downplay the physical components and the physical aspects uh, of the individual's function. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, um, and, and <clears throat> like I said, I don't know everything. And I'm still in the process of learning and so some of the things that you're, that you're, you're highlighting um, are, are ways that I have presented this in the past. And, um, <clears throat> you know, and my, my understanding of this is, is growing over time uh, as well. Yeah. All right, so hang on. What was the original question? We, oh, yeah. Chemicals can't make you think. Right, and then, so medication can change, uh, chemicals can change how you feel. They can change how you feel, right? And, and that can be very beneficial. 
if an individual is feeling very depressed, you know, they have depressed thoughts, they're feeling very depressed and so on, or they're anxious and they have a lot of anxious feelings and other things of that nature, and then you, you give them something that can, that can reduce the, how an individual feels by changing the chemistry that is there, that can be very helpful for an individual in order to then place them in a situation where they can begin to think differently. But if you, if you use the chemicals to change how you feel, but you don't change how you think, then you will end up dependent upon the chemicals for the rest of your life for how you feel. And never then have the victory when it comes to the thoughts because your thoughts are always a slave to how you feel. Right? And that's a danger as well. And, and so there are some individuals that will take antidepressants or they'll take anti-angiolytics and other things of that nature. And when they're feeling better, they think better and they recover from that standpoint. And then they can get off the medication and they can do okay off the medication, right? And, and great, praise the Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> but there are others who then end up becoming completely entirely dependent upon it because they don't learn to take the thoughts captive, right? to the obedience of Christ by his grace, right? Yes. Um, if I may, usually when you take a medication, you are, even if you get a benefit, you're getting a benefit at a, at a cost. Um, and I find that specifically true for psychiatric medication. And I did want to ask, you know, um, have you ever treated or seen anybody who's uh, mental illness like depression anxiety was actually being worsened or caused by the medication that they were on to treat it? I don't know that I can answer that, really. Um, I'm not sure how I would tell exactly whether, you know, whether that was the case. I mean, I, I know of individuals that have, that have been, um, you know, that have been under medication therapy and so on and have not really gotten better, but I do know individuals that have, right? Um, and, and, you know, so, yeah, I don't know, I don't know that I could really tease into that one and, and, and say that, well, yeah, definitely, yeah, it was the medication that was making them worse. I, I mean, I have definitely seen side effects associated with the medications. Um, you know, especially the antipsychotic ones, there's a lot of side effects that become very visual, um, you know, with an individual and motor slowing and tremors and, and heart dyskinesia and other types of things that an individual develops because of, uh, you know, that medication. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, a, <laughs> that's another difficult subject is when you get into, um, you know, delus delusional disorders and where an individual can't reason and other things like that. As a, as, as a person trying to help individuals through, through counseling, you have to have somebody that can reason with you. And if they can't reason with you, I don't have anything to work with. You know. So, you know, I find in those situations, I'm dependent on an individual being on medication in order to be able to be reason to be able to be reasoned with and then in that context then begin to reason with them but you know those days of jesus casting out the demons and and healing the sick and and raising the dead and all that kind of stuff we're told that will come back at some point praise the lord hallelujah but it's not here right now
Oh, and I think this is going to be the last question because that, that alarm was like our, yeah, we're coming to an end here. Yes. Hello. Okay. So I was a little uh, confused by the exchange that just happened between you and this gentleman. Um, I didn't really fully understand where he was coming from, and I wasn't 100% sure of your response. So hopefully you could give a little color to that exchange. So that's the first. Just clarify that. Um, the second question is we had a presentation earlier today where we talked about mental health issues and uh, a concern about not wanting to shame people for seeking treatment. And in that conversation, um, I raised the issue about the intersection between mental health issues and possible uh, demon activity, or as Sister White says, evil spirits. Um, and I think that um, with the proliferation of the airways where it's commonplace where children are reading Harry Potter books and on television, we have more and more you know, television programs that are dealing with the occult, symbolism. I mean, it's blatant now. It's not even hidden. I'm not sure as where we, as Christians or counselors or um, people of, who are interested in helping other people, how we minister to people um, when we know that this interaction is happening, um, there's no real easy way to explain that to people that that could be causing some of your problems. And so the question I have for you is, um, you know, I guess as a medical doctor, you have a checklist of when a person comes in with symptoms and you, you kind of look at it. Where is this place for this, you know, lifestyle, not just what you're eating, but what you're beholding in your eye and who you're dealing with? I mean, I had a client who said, you know, they were, um, had a Ouija port in their home and thought that that was okay. And, you know, what are the pathways that we experience or that people can experience that open that pathway into, you know, this realm of the spiritual that's not a godly spiritual? So it's a convoluted question. Hopefully. Yeah, it's a big one. Yeah. A lot of components right, right. to it. So I'm glad, I'm glad it's the last question, right? Yeah, that will, be, that will be the next eight hours. I hope you have time um, so that we can run through all of that. Um, Wow, yeah, all right, let me. There's a great controversy between Satan and God. And that controversy is playing, around, uh, playing out on this planet. And there are many things that happen in the background that we don't visually see. And there is a devil and his angels, and there is God and his angels. And there is a conflict that is going on between them, and there are rules of the engagement, right? And, and I can't answer the question of where is a dividing line between the sinful fallen nature that we have inherited and some kind of 
spirit entity involvement in something of that nature? I don't know. I, I can't, I, I don't, I haven't figured out yet how to figure that out yet, right? Um, <clears throat> I do know that every delusional nature or, you know, every delusion, every individual with the delusion, every um, encounter that I have ever had, the delusion is always based on lies. Right? And we know that lies don't originate with God. Right? So sin necessarily is involved in that. Right? And sin necessarily is a part of that. But again, not, not by the individual's choice, but by the individual's nature. Right? And, uh, and when does that intersect with <laughs> you know, a demon? Um, would Jesus come and heal the individual? Or would Jesus come and cast out a demon out of the individual? I don't know. I don't know. I've seen some really demonic stuff. I mean, I have. Anybody worked in the ER? Yeah? Yeah? And have you ever had any, any psych patients that came in and you saw some really demonic stuff coming out? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, I believe, yeah, B, yeah B-52 helps really good. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Haldol was really helped. And then when Zyprexa came along, it was, you know, oh, yeah. 20 milligrams of Zyprexa, just give them 20 minutes, and you come back, and, and they're, 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 they're chill, you know? Praise <laughs> God, you know? Um, <clears throat> but, uh, but, yeah, where is that intersection? I don't know, and I wish I did. I really wish I did. I don't know. And I wish I could give you a straight answer to that, but I, I just don't know. I, I still struggle with it in my own mind. You know, I struggled with it when I was in the ER because I saw some really demonic stuff and people, you know, and I was like, hang on, do I address this with medication or do I address this within the name of Jesus? Right? That, that, uh, uh, that was a position that I was in. And I was like, oh, I don't know, because if I dress it in the name of Jesus, that's it. As far as I'm concerned, I'm getting fired. <laughs> I, I just want to clarify. You stated earlier that hospitals and doctors and ICUs are good for acute. So I'm not suggesting that a person comes in with saying that they're, you know, Hitler, that mm -hmm. we pray and let them go. I'm thinking more of the issues where we're talking about your garden variety, depression, um, you know, other kinds of things where people are experiencing that through the media, through um, uh, social media, those types of things. Um, you know, that intersection between um, do we medicate the children that are a little hyperactive or depression or you know de depressed, or do we look at um, a circle of prayer? Do we look at some other things in addition to? Yes, that? absolutely. I, I mean, as a biblical so counselor, yes, that's you know you're. You're you're looking at uh, you know you're looking at helping them to to move away from those things that place them right before the enemy's lies constantly. You know, TV and movies and radio and all that kind of stuff, where he's just feeding them that stuff over and over again, uh, and moving them into an environment where they have very little access to that, but they have a lot of access to the truth and, and the gospel and so on. Um, that in and of itself is not going to fix them. It's good. It's helpful. 
but there's still the need for uh, conversion, right? There's still a need for that surrender uh, that, that, will, that will come and be the transforming point in the life to then bring about another direction. Um, and, and as long as an individual can reason, then we can bring them the truth and by the truth help to lead them in a path out of the lies and, and so on. But I still don't know what to do with an individual that you can't reason with. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just, just telling you, I don't know. You know. But as long as I have somebody I can reason with, then I can tell them the truth, and we can try to walk by, with the truth and, and walk along in a pathway to lead them to freedom. You know. But there's, yeah, there's still question marks in my mind. All right, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, I'm going to pray, and I don't know if there's somebody that's going to close or something like that. I'm going to pray. (laughs) Ah, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are a good God. You really are. And I thank you for that. And, and Lord, I am, I am grateful that you are, uh, you are so kind and loving and patient with us. But yet you are a God that's going to draw all this to an end. And we thank you for that as well. And, and as we're in the middle seeking to understand your will and, and what that looks like in, in each of these you know, situations that we find ourselves in, Lord, may we be uh, ones who dive back into your word to seek to understand uh, how we are and how things function. And to work according uh, to your will and your way, surrendered to and dependent upon you. And uh, Lord, we trust that in all of the, uh, the, the, the issues and the difficulties and so on, that as we, uh, as we humbly seek your will and as we come to your word, that you will continue to lead us into greater light. so that we will understand things and be able to discern even better. And Lord, thank you that we can trust in you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.